my eyes have seen your salvation. I was at a wedding on Friday, and while there at the reception, I ran into a couple that I had married them 10 years ago, and they asked me for prayers. The husband said, pray for us because we've done all the classes and all the paperwork to be foster parents. And I'd always kind of wondered, they're really good people and they'd never had kids. And I, I think it's, you know, they never told me directly, but perhaps they weren't able to have kids, which, which can be a really a, a big hardship for a lot of couples who, who look and say, look at all these people who don't want to have kids, who are having them, and we want to have them and we can't. Like, it's so, it's so difficult. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. And, and then I kind of looked and I noticed that the table they were sitting at was filled with young people, and many of them had been in the youth group where they volunteer at. One of them works at the church, the other volunteers. And even the wedding, the girl in the wedding was in, in their youth group. And it's like, maybe you weren't able to have the fruitfulness you wanted by having your own kids. I said, but look at the fruitfulness of, of your work here with these young people and how faithful God is that you've invested in these young people and now look like they're getting married in the church and they're, you know, and they're, they're staying friends and they're in Bible studies together and that this couple had been faithful to God and that he was being very faithful to them. In our gospel today, we hear the story of the presentation of the Lord in the temple. And this, this feast is it's kind of a combined feast. There's a couple things going on. There was the Jewish practice of the purification of the mother after childbirth, but also and the, the presentation of the child to God in the temple, kind of offering the child back to God as a way, and then they offer um, two turtle doves, which signified they were poor. That's all they could afford was two birds. And that they're, they're in a sense, they're making an offering so that they can receive redemption from God for their child, that they, they're asking for redemption. And, and we see in this, if you, if you pray the rosary, the joyful mystery, the, um, the fourth joyful mystery is the presentation in the temple, which is this gospel, and the fruit of the mystery that, one of many perhaps, but is uh, obedience to God's law, a faithfulness to God, that God, I, want, I pray for the grace to be faithful to your commands, your laws, your rituals, trusting that you will be faithful to me. And it's true, right, that God, even if we are unfaithful, it's, it's God who's faithful to us. And so in the course of this, this presentation, there's a couple of people, a couple of characters that are there, this guy named Simeon, and he says this prayer, now, master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. What he's doing is he's praising God because of God's faithfulness. God, you have been faithful and you've allowed me to see the day when the savior comes to the temple. But the, the Savior is just a baby, Jesus. The Savior hasn't done anything. Jesus hasn't done anything. He hasn't redeemed people. 
But, but Simeon is praising God because he sees God's plan of salvation at work. Not fully completed, but he sees his plan in motion. Like, God, you are faithful, and your plan of salvation is in motion. And he blesses them, he blesses, and he says to Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself, a sword will pierce, so that the hearts of, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Jesus is, I'm sorry, G, Simeon is saying to Mary that, that this child will be the cause of rise of many and the fall of many, and that you yourself, a sword will pierce. And so that's true for Mary, because whenever a, ch- whenever a parent sees their child suffer, it's as if they themselves are suffering too. I don't think kids realize this. Kids realize it when they become parents themselves, that when we see our kids suffer, it's, we suffer with them. There's, there's a piercing of our own heart. And, and Mary is with all of us, in the piercings of our heart of what happens to our children, that no parent suffers alone, but, but Mary, the mother of God, who suffers with them, but also shows them how to be faithful and to stay with God through it all. The second person that's in the temple there is Anna. It says this, she was seven years with her husband, and then after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. So unless she got married at 77, which she probably didn't, She's been faithful for a long time in the temple. It, she's like, God, there's nothing more important than for me to stay focused on God and what he's doing. Even for year after year after year, I don't see any fruit that she stays faithful. And so she's a sign for all of us of trust in God, even when we can't see the fruit of that. I, I think that's true for a lot of a lot of parents again, but for all people, that how long do we pray for things, especially for conversion in our family or healing or people to come back to the church, and we don't see it. And again, it wounds our heart, and yet Anna is a, is a sign of us, a symbol for us of, of just trusting God. Stay faithful because he is faithful. The wedding... I was at um, was for a couple students here at the Newman Center, and it's a unique story. Uh, the bride, uh, the bride's mother, had died when she was a child, and so the father, of course, stepped in and said, "I'm going to you know, raise my daughter and and protect her and raise her well." And then her father died, her freshman year here at NAU, and. It was beautiful to see the family really come in and be present there. And the maid of honor, who I think was an aunt or something, or a close family friend, or it, it was like she, it looked like an aunt, but, um, and she knew the family for a long time. And she shared of how the bride's father had been very protective of his daughter, and he kept her close to the church, and he, he always worked for what's best for her, which is what, what all parents want, right? They, and, and he, did, he did the best he could, um, trying to protect her from harm. And, but just like all of our parents do that imperfectly. But, but God is the one who's faithful. 
the parents try to be faithful and do the best they can, but they can't protect their kids. Every, you know, like when your kid's in fifth grade on the playground, can you really protect them? Like you, you can't. It's not our job to protect our kids in every circumstance. We can't do that. Our, I think our job is to teach our kids how to face difficulties when they face them. And I think our challenge as parents is to learn to trust that God loves my kids even more than I do. And so even when I can't control them and make them do what I want them to do, that God can. And so this family, in a beautiful way, stepped in and one uncle walked her up the aisle, another uncle danced the first dance, and um, again, this, this aunt or whatnot gave the, the, was the maid of honor and gave the speech. And, and something was really beautiful made me think of our, our second reading today from Colossians and how husbands and wives are supposed to, to love each other. And, and sometimes we can bristle at this where it's, um, it's, it's somewhere here. Uh, so he says, you know, it says, this is a challenging, it says, wives, be subordinate to your husbands. It's like, ah, as is proper in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And Ephesians says to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And in a beautiful, it was the most moving part of the whole thing for me was in the middle of the, the reception, uh, after the dances, and um, I think it was after the toasts, that um, the husband came out with a bowl and a pitcher of water. And they put on a little music or whatnot, and everybody was quiet, and he washed her feet. That just as Jesus did um, at that the night of that he made a covenant with his disciples at the Last Supper, that on the day that this man makes a covenant with his wife before the altar, that he, he backs it up and says, this is how I'm going to love you. That I'm here to get on my knees and to do whatever I can to take care of you, to serve at your feet, to, to treat you like a, like a queen and my bride and my wife. And I can't imagine, I'm not part of her family, but how consoling that is, that here's a father, a deceased father, who wanted to give his daughter the best and to protect her and to serve her in all things, but he wasn't able to do that in God's providence. But God, in his providence, had a plan to do something even better, was to give her a husband who would be there to love and to walk with her for many years to come. That this father was faithful the best he could, but how much more faithful is our Heavenly Father? That as imperfect as our families are, that God is able to perfect and do something even more beautiful and loving. That actually the family I've been given, that we've been given, is, is actually the perfect family to help us grow in holiness. Like Colossians goes on to say, you know, like forgiveness and kindness and patience and charity, that my family doesn't always love me the way I want to be loved, but God has given me my family not necessarily for that, but so that I can learn to grow as I love them. That as I am patient with imperfect people, as I am kind and forgiving to people who've hurt me, that, that it actually helps me to become holy. That our families become holy, not because they're perfect, because there's no such thing, but our families become holy as we are perfected in loving them as they are. That, 
yeah, it's about, it's not about what they're doing for us, but it's about what, what they're doing for us to grow. I, I've spoken a lot over the years about my own family and my father and the journey that we've had, and um, you may, maybe you don't know, is uh, my father passed away this past April, and it had been a long journey where I think my, looking back, it's, it's beautiful now that I can see the goodness of my father more than ever. But I think growing up, I did not feel it or see it so much because my dad wasn't doing what I wanted. My dad wasn't giving me the freedom I wanted. Um, and so I, I felt a lot of resentment and a lot of bitterness, a lot of unforgiveness. Well, I mean, I practiced forgiving, like... I remember even saying on a retreat to the youth minister, do I have to forgive somebody who I know is just going to hurt me again? And the youth minister in a beautiful way said, you know, what he does is his choice. But it's up to us whether we forgive or not. And so it had been a tumultuous relationship over many years. And I got out of the house kind of as soon as I could and didn't always like going back. Um, and yet God, in his mercy, allowed my dad to develop Alzheimer's disease, which people look at and they're like, man, that's a terrible disease, it's ugly. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I see that, maybe. I said, but for us, it was probably the greatest mercy God could have given us. Because my dad, who was so defensive for so many years, had no choice but to receive. Which is what we all need to do in order to enter heaven, to be able to receive the gift of heaven like a child. And so he had no choice but to literally receive every mouth of food as a gift, completely and utterly dependent on others, like we all are on God. And for us kids, it was an invitation to come back and to help take care of him, to, to realize that this spiny cactus had been despined, and I could actually draw close if I wanted to, and to love him as he was. And so... Every night of the week, a different kid would come back and help my mom, just like help him eat, use the bathroom, go to bed. And actually, it was really the great one of the cool witnesses there is watching my mom love her husband, who was a different man than she married. People will say that, like, oh, they've changed, they're not the same person. I was like, no, I'm not the same person I was a year ago. We all change. And it becomes a conscious choice to love people the way they are, by the grace of God. And I had been down there for a funeral, and it turned out to be his final weekend, and so I just knew he wasn't doing well, so my mom called me, so I went over. So I was able to spend the final weekend of his life with him. I was able to offer him the sacraments. I gave him viaticum on Divine Mercy Sunday, the day before he died. And he was able to, this man who had not always been so kind to the people around him, was able to die with his priest son holding his hand and his wife right there by his side. And so I'm watching all this in my life, and I'm like, God, like, why are you being so merciful and generous and faithful to a man who caused a lot of difficulty in my life? And I realized that God's faithfulness and generosity is unbounded that for me that watching God love my dad and all these priests and all these people are having masses offered for him and I'm like wow they're being so generous 
to my dad. What is it? It's a sign, really, of how generous and faithful God is. And I honestly never thought I would see it. I, you know, you grow up and you're like, they're never going to change. And so for, for my whole life, I was like, my dad, that's just the way he is. Like, there's, you know, God can do a lot, but he can't do that. He, if God, you know, and if, if, dad doesn't, if my dad doesn't want to open the door to let God's mercy work, like, there's nothing God can do. There's nothing God can do, so it's never going to happen. But then I saw with my own eyes God bring about, bring about like, redemption and healing in our family. I was like, wow, what a, what a gift. The prayer that, that Simeon prayed that I read a minute ago, it's, it's prayed every single night in the Liturgy of the Hours, that every priest, every religious finishes the day with the prayer of Simeon. And the words mean something special to me more, more now is it resonates in my own heart because you may let your servant go in peace. I feel like I, feel like I can let my father go in peace because I've seen God's salvation at work there. And for all the ways in my life that I have not seen his salvation come to fulfillment, I, we're not going to see that until we're in heaven, for all of us, for our families. For, but, but if we have the eyes to see, that if we draw close to the Lord in faithfulness, that God in his goodness allows us to see glimpses of his faithfulness at work in our own families. Not other people's families. Yes, he does that too. But in, my, in our own families, in our own lives, God's salvation is at work. And, and our invitation this day from the, our readings, our feast, is that we're, we're invited to be faithful to the best that we can in our imperfect families with our imperfect faith. To do the best we can trusting that our God is even more faithful. And so I just want to I'll pray this prayer. Again, this is a prayer that every priest, every religious, any person who prays the leaders of the hours prays each night. And it's, it's, it's the prayer of the church that as we, as we close our eyes on a day, just like one day we will close our eyes for good, that, that we can trust in God's faithfulness. Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel.